All right, brothers and sisters, if you will, take out your Bibles with me. Let's turn to Mark chapter 8 together. Mark chapter 8, we'll finish Mark chapter 8 today. Mark 8, 34 through 38. There's a story in the Old Testament where little Samuel, little boy Samuel, he's still a little boy at this point. His mother, Hannah, prayed to God for a son. She was barren. God granted that to her, and she said, if you grant me a son, I'll dedicate him to the Lord. So she did. She sent him to live at the temple with the priest, Eli. Well, Samuel, as a little boy, is living there. Eli is not a very good priest, actually. And the Lord calls out to Samuel. He says, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel's a little boy. He has no idea what's going on. He thinks it's Eli. He keeps going to Eli saying, what? And Eli's like, I didn't say anything. Well, Finally, Eli realizes the Lord is actually speaking to Samuel and he teaches little boy Samuel. He teaches him to respond with this, to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. That is my prayer right now. It's my prayer every week as we come to God's word. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I hope it's yours. I hope that's your prayer in your heart, that God would speak to us now and that we would listen from our hearts The passage that we're about to read, John MacArthur once called the crown jewel of Jesus' teaching. Of all of his teaching, this is the crown jewel of it. This actually comes at the the center of the book of Mark. We're at the end of the 8th chapter. Mark has 16 chapters. This passage is really the exact center of the book of Mark. And we don't typically make too much of this in our modern culture in literature and things that we write. But in that culture, they made a big deal of how texts were organized and and what was found at the very center of a text, of an ancient biblical text or a text of that time. What was found in the very center was often the most important, the the one that people wanted you, you to be drawn to. And this is where we're at, at the book of Mark, the very center. So it would make sense. There is credence to what John MacArthur once said, that this is the crown jewel of Jesus's teaching. Many have called this the great invitation. It's an invitation. Jesus is going to give an invitation here. Now, we're familiar with that. Every week we give an invitation here at church at the end of our service. And so we're familiar with that idea, but sometimes our invitations for people to accept the gospel don't sound very much like Jesus is here. Jesus certainly extends the invitation of the gospel to all, to all people. But even as he is inviting here, he's also warning at the same time. He's inviting and warning. He doesn't make it easy. He doesn't try to smooth off the harsh edges. He's essentially saying, you need to count the cost before you do this. When you consider following me, you need to understand what you're getting into. It's almost like a parent speaking to their, their older kids who are thinking about a life decision. Have you really thought this through? It's not just a blanket, yeah, come on, let's go. That's what most people think Jesus is doing every time he gives an invitation to people. Come on, everybody's welcome. Let's, anybody who says yes, let's, let's come on right into the kingdom. That's not the way Jesus does it often. Because when Jesus invites people, when they heard what Jesus required, Instead of following him, some went away sad. So I wonder how you will respond today to Jesus' invitation. Let's read it together. Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34. This is God's word. 
It says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." I want to make particular note of a few things in our passage this morning as we contemplate this, as we seek to apply it to our own hearts. Number one comes in verse 34. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. What does it mean to take up your cross? It does not mean that Everybody has particular crosses to bear. It doesn't mean the the suffering in your life, dealing with what's hard in your life. That's not what it means. What it means is every single one of us has to die. If you want to follow Jesus, you've got to die to yourself. When Jesus says, take up your cross, the picture that should come into our minds is Jesus walking on the road to his own crucifixion, carrying, bearing his own cross. Carrying his own cross to his own crucifixion, to the place where he would be put to death. And so Jesus is saying to us, if you want to follow me, you have to do that as well, but not physically. No, it's spiritually. You have to Take up your own instrument of death. You have to march to your own death to follow me. He is saying it's not going to be easy. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once wrote in his book, The The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship, he wrote this. He said, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, in Luke's recording of these words, Luke chapter 9, he, he adds a little something that Mark didn't add. Apparently Luke heard it told to him different or something like that. Or maybe it was even Jesus saying the same teaching at a different moment. But Luke says we are to take up our cross daily. Jesus' words in Luke says daily. Take up your cross every day. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says exactly that. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 15, he says, I die every day. I die every day. That's what it means to follow Jesus. That you die every day. It means you die to yourself. You die to yourself. You deny yourself every day. Every day we have to crucify our own will and our own desires. Every day, we have to nail those to the cross and kill them, put them to death, 
and give ourselves over to the will of God. That is what it means to follow Christ. To wake up and to say no to yourself and to say yes to God. Jesus says you must deny yourself. It might be helpful to think of this in two areas. Two areas where every single one of us, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to deny ourselves. Two areas. Number one, you've got to deny yourself the pleasure of sin. If you want to follow Jesus, you have to deny yourself the pleasure of sin. Say no to your flesh. You must say no to temptation. This is a mark of those who follow Christ. All throughout scripture we see a mark of the Christian is that they have self-control. It's one of the fruits of the Spirit. Remember, self-control. And it's, it's more than just control, it's self-denial. Self-denial here. And so if, if you are always giving in to temptation and sin, you are not walking the way of Jesus. This tells us if, if you submit to sin over and over again, if you just let your, your urges and your fleshly desires dictate your life, then sin is your master, not Christ. Self-control, self-denial, it's the mark of a believer. We must deny ourselves the pleasures of sin if we want to follow Christ. But it's not just denying the pleasures of sin. There's another way to think about this as well. We must deny our desire to live for ourselves. You've got to deny the desire to live for yourself if you want to follow Jesus. Do not be deceived, brothers and sisters, into thinking that God's will is always going to be what you wanted to do anyway. It's not. Many times, many, many times in our lives, God's will is going to be the opposite of what you want to do. At least in your flesh. What you want to do and what God wants you to do are opposed to one another and we have to choose. That is what Jesus is saying when he's saying, deny yourself. Say no to yourself. We want to live for ourselves. We want to live for our own comfort. And God is telling you to die to that. Die to that and live for him and for others. Listen to Paul's words from Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 3. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. The way of Christ is to genuinely count others more significant than yourself. To, to look out to the rest of the world, to other people, and to say, they are more important than me. Their desires and their wants and their needs are more important than mine. And so I'm going to lay down myself. And I'm going to serve them. I'm going to look to the interests of others, not just to my own interests. That's what the entire world does. The entire world is built on looking out for your own interests. The entire world, billions and billions of dollars are spent trying to get you to look out for yourself and to make yourself more comfortable and to, to, to pursue your own interests. And Jesus is calling us to do the exact opposite, to pursue the interests of others, 
to consider them more important than ourselves. What does this look like in life? I want to ask each of you to think about this. What does it practically look like in your life to every day wake up and to deny yourself, to take up your cross and to follow Jesus? In marriage, this means sacrificing your wants and your needs for those of your spouse, genuinely considering their wants and their needs ahead of your own, more important than your own. In the workplace, this means serving your boss, serving your customers, serving your fellow employees, rather than just trying to make everything the way you want it and get out of there with a paycheck. At school, this means caring more about the good of those around you than your own reputation, young people. Being willing to be seen as unpopular and uncool because you care more about others than you care about yourself. In a a church like ours, this means helping a brother or sister out when you could have spent that time doing something for yourself. What does it look like for you to take up your cross and deny yourself every day? We must die to ourselves if we want to follow Jesus. This is an invitation, you see, but, but it's not the kind of invitation that we typically give. It's not the feel-good, smooth-off-the-rough-edges invitation. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, this is what it requires. You've got to die. Second, I want you to focus in on verse 35 with me. Verse 35. Jesus' teaching is so simple, but he gets right to the heart of the matter. He makes it so clear. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospel will save it. You have to lose your life. You don't just have to die to yourself. You've got to lose your life if you want to follow Jesus. Lose your life. When we are faced with the gospel, we are faced with a choice. Keep your life or give up your life. That's the choice. Very simple. Keep your life or give up your life. Keep control. Be your own master. Do things your way or give up control. Submit to Jesus as your master. Conform to his way. Deny yourself. And this right here is the leap of faith. You hear that phrase thrown around all the time. This is the leap of faith. This is what it is. Is Coming to Christ and being willing to lose your life. Being willing to take the leap of of losing your life and believing that on the other side you will gain it. You will save it. Do you believe that in giving up control, you will actually be more happy than if you kept it? Do you believe that to be true? Some people hear this and they They're nervous about it, understandably so, but they say, if I do this, if I give up my life, I'll lose myself. I'll lose who I am. No, no, you won't. You'll find yourself. You'll find the only identity that can truly satisfy you and make you happy. By losing your life to God, you gain the life that is truly life. What Satan doesn't want you to know is this. You are really giving up a lie 
for the truth. You're giving up a lie and gaining the truth. You're giving up this sense of control that you think will make you happy, but it won't. You think having control of your life will make you happy? Let me ask you this. If you have not yet given up control to Jesus, how's that working out for you? How's that working out for you? Is it satisfying all the desires of your heart, keeping control of your life? Is it making you happy? In reality, you're not even in control. You just think you are. But when you give it up, God takes control and he makes you into the person that you were created to be. Do you remember in the Old Testament the story of baby Moses? Remember this? Some of you might not, so here, here it is. Baby Moses, he was born at a time when Pharaoh, the ruler of Egypt, was having all the boys that were born in Israel, to, to the Israelite slaves, all the baby boys that were born to them were being put to death. They are being drowned in the Nile River. And so Moses' mother has a baby boy and she hides him for as long as she can. But babies, you know, they make noise. They, they cause a stir. There comes a point to where she can't hide him anymore. And so in faith, she puts her baby boy in a basket and sends it down the river. Her, her son, her son that she loves, she lets him go and she sends him down the river in a basket. And what happened later? Well, he ends up in the water at the feet of Pharaoh's own daughter. And Pharaoh's daughter scoops him up and has pity on him and adopts him herself. And then Moses' sister, his older sister, who had been following the basket, comes up and asks the princess, do you want me to go find one of the Hebrew slave women to nurse him for you? And she says, yes. Yeah, go get one of them. And who does she go get? She go gets his mom. She go gets their mom. And his mom comes up to Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh's daughter says this. She says, take this child and nurse him for me, and I will give you your wages. Moses' mother, in faith, let go of her son and entrusted him to the Lord, and she received him back with wages. You see, when you give up your life to God, you receive back so much more than you ever thought you would. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity says, this principle runs through all of life from top to bottom. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you will save it. Submit to death the death of your ambitions and favorite wishes every day, and death of your whole body in the end. Submit with every fiber of your being, and you will find eternal life. Keep back nothing. Nothing that you have not given away will ever really be yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself, and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. Everything else thrown in. It's the way it is with the Lord. Lose your life to gain it. 
Look at how Jesus puts it in verse 36. Again, so simple and right to the heart of things. It makes so much sense. Verse 36, he says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? What profit will you have if you gain the whole world? If you gain the whole world but forfeit your soul? If you have all earthly blessings that you ever wanted and all the accomplishments, achieving all your goals, if you have all the acclaim and respect from all the people you ever desired, and if you have the nicest house, and the nicest cars, and the nicest clothes, and the best financial situation, and if you retire early and live the easy life, if you have friends and family and pleasure and comfort all your days, but you lose your soul for all eternity, you spend eternity in hell, would it be worth it? Friends, there is no one in hell saying it was worth it. Those words are not uttered in hell. There are those who have fooled themselves into believing in this life that it will be worth it. But that, that is never said in hell. What good will it do you if you gain the whole world in all of the pursuits that you go after every day? In all of the ways that you wake up every day and instead of denying yourself, you say yes to yourself and you go after yourself. In all of the ways that you do that, let's say you get all you want. You get everything you were going after, but you end up in hell. Will it have been worth it? How, how long do we live? 80, 90 years? Let's say you have pleasure and comfort for every single one of them. And then you spend eternity in hell. Will it have been worth it? Never. It's not even close. God is trying to get us to see more than just right, what's right in front of our faces. Are you wise enough to live your life for what will happen after death? Or will you foolishly live for the here and now? We have to make these choices all the time in life in smaller, smaller ways. All the time we have to make choices like this. For instance, do you, do you spend the money you get on instant gratification pleasures or do you save and pay off debt? Do you eat everything that tastes good? Or do you deny yourself those pleasures for the greater pleasure of being healthy? Do you go to bed at a decent hour knowing the amount of sleep you get will affect your day tomorrow? You see, we make these kinds of decisions all the time. But God is asking you to make that same kind of decision on a much larger, much longer scale. Will you live for your life here and now, before death? Or will you live for eternity? Those are two very different lives lived. Two very different lives. Living for here and now versus living for what comes after death. Every person who lives for the here and now will have the most piercing regret. For all eternity. Finally, Jesus tells us to be unashamed. Look at verse 38. Be unashamed. He says, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, 
of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is part of taking up your cross, denying yourself, being unashamed. This is part of it. There will be times in life where standing with Jesus, identifying with Jesus, speaking about Jesus gets you ridiculed, gets you made fun of, gets you in trouble with some more powerful people. There will be times like that. Times when you lose respect and status in the eyes of those around you. There will be times where you are seen as not cool, not successful, not the kind of person that other people admire. Or there will be times in our culture today where for identifying with Jesus, you will be seen as a hate-filled, closed-minded bigot. There will be times where you get that for following Jesus. This is our test, brothers and sisters. This is our test. Will we be ashamed of Jesus and his words in this adulterous and sinful generation? Will we be ashamed of him? Will we be ashamed of his words? Because if we are, Jesus says, he will be ashamed of us in the end. And do not mistake what he means by this. This does not mean at the judgment, Jesus is putting his head down and shaking his head like this and saying, just go, just go into heaven. Just go ahead. I'm ashamed of you. Just go. That's not what he's saying. Because in Matthew 10, we read this. Jesus says, but whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my father who is in heaven. Whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Now, you've got to understand this. There's nuance here. Because what happened the night where Jesus was being put on trial? Who denied him three times? Denied even knowing him. The Apostle Peter. And later he was forgiven and restored. And so this is not Jesus saying, Boy, if you do this one time, boy, if you even slip up on this, You've lost everything. That's not what Jesus is saying. I think what he's saying here is, what, what is, the, what, what is the, the course of your life? What is your life characterized by, right? For Peter, that was a moment in time. But his life was characterized by speaking boldly for Christ. His life was characterized by identifying with Jesus and following him and walking in his ways. What is your life characterized by? Is your life characterized by being ashamed of Jesus and his words? I might ask it this way. How far does your commitment to Jesus go? How far does your commitment to Jesus go? Jesus says, if anyone would come after me. We're talking about following him, right? Following him. And following Jesus means giving him our entire life. Our entire life. But you see, there are, there are those who want to call themselves Christians, but there's no way they're going to talk about it in front of others if it means they're going to be ridiculed, if it means they're going to be looked on as unsuccessful, if it means they're, they're going to be seen as some kind of bigot or some kind of closed-minded, ignorant fool. They are willing to say they are a Christian in front of other believers, but they go completely silent 
any time they're around a group of people who are not. They're a Christian only when it is convenient. Ask yourself, is that, is that me today? Am I a Christian but only when it's convenient? What do, what do we do when it gets hard? What do we do when we don't get any points for being a Christian? In fact, we get the opposite. Being a Christian is not proclaiming Jesus or identifying with him as long as it's convenient. Being a Christian is following Jesus, and following him means what? Take up your cross. Deny yourself. This got Jesus killed. It got Jesus killed, and it got his apostles killed. The 12 men who followed Jesus, they died. For their faith. It gets people killed. This is our test. What will we do when following Jesus is no longer comfortable or convenient? That right there shows you how far your commitment to Jesus goes. When God created the world, it says in the book of Job, he said to the waves, this far and no further. He says to the the water of the oceans, this far and no further. Is that what we say about our commitment to Jesus? I'll go this far, but no further. How far does your commitment go? Are you ashamed of him? Brothers and sisters, if we are ashamed of Jesus in his words, we are more committed to ourselves and our own reputation than we are to him. Think about it. If we are ashamed of him in his words, then we are more committed to ourselves and our own reputation than we are to him. I want to leave you with this. Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. But have you ever thought about the fact that he said this to the disciples and those around him? It says, verse 34, there was a crowd and his disciples. Have you ever thought about he said this to them before he died on the cross? And so to them at that moment, what would it have been like You see, he hadn't died on the cross. They didn't know he was going to lose his life by dying on a cross. They knew what a cross was. They had seen the Romans put criminals on display and crucify them as a warning to the rest. They knew what a cross was, but they didn't have the same view of the cross that we do. For us, we love the cross. We cherish the cross. The cross is our salvation. For them, they didn't know anything about that. They didn't know that Jesus would die on a cross. They didn't know that he would pick up his own cross and carry it to the place where he died. But I have no doubt that when he did, these words came back to them. These words came back to them. And Jesus' command to take up your cross and follow me became so much more powerful because he had called others to take up their cross. And then he literally did it to give them an example. He literally did it. The call to follow Christ is a call to do what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, to die every day. To die every day. I crucify myself with Christ all over again every day. I've been crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20 Every day, every day we want to go to bed saying, I've been crucified with Christ today. It doesn't happen every day. We, we all have days where we go to bed and saying, 
I lived for myself instead of Christ today. I was, I was ashamed of him today. I messed it up today. But what we long for, what we pray that God could help us to do, is to go to bed every night saying, today I was crucified with Christ. Today I took up my cross and denied myself and followed him. This is a call to die every day, to give up your life so that you can find the only life that is truly life. It's an invitation, and it's also a warning at the same time. How will you respond? How will you respond? Let's take some time right now and do just that, to respond to the Lord. Each week, hereafter, we hear from the Lord, from his word. We give a few moments of silent prayer so that you can speak back to him, so that you can respond to whatever he has laid upon your heart. We ask you to pour your heart out to the Lord right now, to go to him in your heart and in your mind, and to say whatever, whatever you have on your heart to him. But please take this time and pray to God and respond to him. After we do that and we all respond individually, we'll come back. We'll have an invitation time where those who need to respond to God's word publicly can do so then. But for right now, let's all respond privately in prayer.